Bibles and turn, turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. I'll begin reading at verse 9. Acts 16 verse 9. During the night, Paul had a vision. There stood a man of Macedonia pleading with him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, we immediately tried to cross over to Macedonia, being convinced that God had called us to proclaim the good news to them. We set sail from Troas and took a straight course to Samothrace, the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city for some days. On the Sabbath day we went outside the gate by the river where we supposed there was a place of prayer and we sat down and spoke to the women who had gathered there a certain woman named Lydia, a worshiper of God, was listening to us. She was from the city of Thyatira and a dealer in purple cloth. The Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. When she and her household were baptized, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my home. And she prevailed upon us. And then the house church there in Philippi was established. This is the Word of God. Would you pray with me, friends? God, we give you thanks for these moments that we share together in this place. And because of the work of your Holy Spirit, we dare to believe that these moments together will bear great fruit in our lives and in the life of our community and world. We pray, God, that you'll give each one of us ears to hear what you're saying to us today. Holy Spirit, we pray that we will love what you love. We will do what you do as we surrender our lives to you. In the name of our only Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. I wish that all of you could see what Pastor Clark and Pastor Melissa and Pastor Ken and I get to see on a, on a regular basis. We get to see the, the bigger picture of the life of our congregation, not just a, the slice in which we're involved, but we get to see what it is that God is doing through many of us here in our congregation, here in our community of High Point and beyond. We have so many, many people in so many, many ways involved in the mission of the church. We are making a difference in each other's lives. We're making a difference in this community and we're changing the world. We exist 
for the sake of mission. We as a Christian community, we exist for, for those outside the church. We as the Christian community, we were formed for mission just as fire is meant for burning. And we joyfully go into the world every time we leave worship in order to be involved in the mission field out there, in order to be involved in ministry and mission. It's such a great, great joy to see the many, many ways all of you, all of us are involved in mission here in this community. Sometimes the task ahead of us is great, but we know that the power within us is greater. Sometimes the task of mission to the world can become so tough and so difficult. As you heard referenced in our morning prayer by Pastor Melissa, we are joining in the grief of Metropolitan United Methodist Church in Atlanta today. Their pastor, the Reverend Marita Harrell, was, was tragically killed this past week by someone to whom she was in ministry. We, never told it, we were never told it would be easy. We are told that we will have tribulation in this world, but in Jesus Christ, we have overcome this world. We've never been told that it was easy. We're just told to go to the world and change the world, but never to be changed by the world around us. We are continuing in our sermon series today on prayer. And what we're talking about this morning is missional prayer. We're talking about how critical it is that all of our mission, everything we do as the body of Christ, the physical presence of Jesus in this world is spirit-empowered and prayer-directed. We see that happening in our text before us this morning. Here in Acts chapter 16, we catch up with Paul and his entourage on his second missionary journey. We find them in the city of Troas. That's a city that is in present-day Turkey. In Paul's day, it was the Roman province of Asia Minor. And while Paul was there in Troas on his second missionary journey, you heard in the text that Paul received a vision. Paul was definitely a person of prayer. He was definitely a person that lived in constant communion with God. He was a person that lived in dialogue with God. He was constantly speaking to God, and God was speaking to him. And in the context of Paul's prayer life, you heard in our text, he received a vision. It was at night, and in this particular vision, it says that a man of Macedonia came to him and said, come over to Macedonia and help us. Some people, many people in the Christian community think that this man in this vision was Luke, the author of the Gospel of Acts or the book of Acts. Because we also notice that in the next verse, all of a sudden the pronoun becomes we. Because all of a sudden Luke joins in the ministry and the mission of Paul and his entourage. 
So perhaps the vision that he saw was of someone he knew, someone from Macedonia, and perhaps it was Luke. Of course, Macedonia is what we today call Northern Greece. So after Paul received this vision, he acted in obedience to the vision. We need to be careful, friends, when we act in obedience to visions or voices. Because sometimes the visions or the voices can be from God. Sometimes they can be from the enemy of our soul. Sometimes they can just be from the, the terrible dinner we had way too late last night and we tried to sleep on it. So we need to discern the visions that come our way. We need to constantly be discerning how we are called to live the Christian life in this world today. Last week, Pastor Clark, in our earlier services and on our televised service, did a masterful job of talking about the prayer of discernment. I encourage you to go listen to the recording, listen to the podcast, watch it online. He did a wonderful job of talking about the prayer of discernment. As Christians, we have to, we have to become more and more adept at being able to discern what our next action should be. Life is confusing. Life is filled with distractions. Life is filled with so many voices. We have to constantly be discerning what it is God is calling us to do. We have to, as Pastor Clark told us last week, we have to make sure that we use both word and spirit when we do the work of discernment. We need to do the work of spirit. We need to be in prayer. We need to be listening for God. We need to be open to visions and dreams that God gives us. But we always need to discern, to evaluate those visions and dreams and voices and directions that we think we've received by the Word of God. We need to also make sure that spirit is balanced with Word. Last week, Clark, in those earlier services, gave a quotation from one of my favorite contemporary authors in the Christian church, David Watson. David is the dean, the academic dean at United Theological Seminary in Dayton, Ohio. You may remember he spoke here about three years ago in one of Dr. Watson's books. He said this, Clark quoted it last week, All word and no spirit we dry up, all spirit and no word we blow up, both word and spirit we grow up. We need to pay attention to both spirit and word. We need to pay attention to both those revelations we are sure we're getting from the spirit and what God has said in his written word. God never contradicts God's self. So God will never say anything to us that is contrary to God's word. We can trust Paul here as Paul trusts his vision here when he sees this man of Macedonia in a vision who says to Paul to come over and help us in Macedonia. We can trust Paul because Paul was a good, devout Jew. He grew up and he was nurtured. He was immersed in the scriptures of the Jewish community. He was immersed in what we would call the Old Testament. That's why when you read all of Paul's writings, 
the scriptures come out just automatically as Paul writes his letters. Paul knew the word well. That's why Paul knew when to discern if it was the Spirit calling him to do something. We need to use both word and spirit. We know that Paul was such a disciple of Christ, so he discerned that this was a vision from God. And then Paul and his entourage acted in obedience to this vision. And he crossed the Aegean Sea. He left what we call Turkey to go to what we call Greece, to Macedonia. And then when he set foot in Macedonia, we would say, the way we look at it today, that that was the first time he ever set foot on European soil. So we, particularly we here in this place, we're so grateful that Paul acted in obedience to that vision and Paul took the good news of Jesus Christ to what we would call Europe because most of us in this room trace our ancestry to Europe, perhaps even Northern Europe. So we're grateful that Paul acted in obedience to the vision. And he crossed the Aegean Sea and he went to Greece, Macedonia. And we also are grateful that he went there to Philippi and he found some particular people there in Philippi. You notice in the book of Acts that every time Paul would go to any city, Paul always went first to the synagogue. He would start in the synagogue because he would go find those people who knew the Jewish faith, and by finding those people who already knew the Jewish faith, they were halfway to where Paul wanted to get them. So Paul could talk to them about this Jewish Messiah, Jesus, who came in fulfillment of Jewish scripture. So Paul, being an expert missionary, knew to start there first. Find people who already knew our story. Find people who knew our scripture and begin to share Jesus with them. Well, evidently in Philippi, there was no synagogue. So what we see here in the text is, Paul goes and he finds a group of women a group of God-fearers, a group of God-worshippers who were Gentiles there in Philippi. That's a technical term, God-fearers, in the book of Acts. God-fearers were those non-Jewish people in the ancient world, those Gentiles, who connected themselves with the Jewish community. They, they were enamored by the Jewish ethics. They were enamored by the Jewish God, the God of Israel. They were enamored by the Jewish scriptures and they would connect themselves with the Jewish community, the Jewish God, the Jewish faith, just not go the, the full route of a proselyte or convert. So Paul, not finding a synagogue, went and found a group of God-fearers. They all happened to be women in this case. They were women that were gathered at a place of prayer. They were gathered on the river there, that beautiful river that still run, runs alongside of the ruins of Philippi today. And in the midst of those women, Paul found Lydia. I hope you know Lydia well. I, I certainly hope that by the time you leave here today, you'll know Lydia even better. A few weeks ago, we talked about Tabitha or Dorcas. Here's another person from the book of Acts that we should know because you and I, we owe a lot to Lydia. Lydia, according to the book of Acts, was Paul's first convert to the Christian faith. 
on European soil. So we're all in this place today as heirs, descendants of Lydia. We need to know Lydia better. We don't need to let go of that name Lydia in the Christian community. Right now, about the only Lydia I know is Pastor Ken's wife. We need to hold on to these biblical names such as Tabitha or Lydia. Here Paul finds Lydia, and I don't think it was accidental. This is part of the work of the Holy Spirit here in Paul's life. He finds this small group of women. He finds Lydia there in the midst of this small group of women. Lydia was a businesswoman there in Philippi. She was a seller of the color of purple, purple cloth from the city of Thyatira. She was a businesswoman, and Paul encountered her on this day, and she became the first convert on European soil. We owe something to Lydia, those of us here in this place today. She was the first convert on European soil. She certainly was not the last. We owe something to Lydia. When I look at this text, Paul doing spirit-empowered, prayer-directed, mission and ministry in Philippi. We learn something about prayer. We learn something about being people on a mission. I want to offer you three takeaways from this text this morning as the Spirit makes application of this text in your life. The first thing I want to offer as an application for all of us, this text reminds me, as it does much of the New Testament, that we need to stay focused on the mission of the church, the Christian community. The world is so filled with distractions. We are surrounded by so many voices. We need to stay focused on the mission of the Christian community because that's each one of our missions as individuals. We know that. We need to stay focused on the Christian mission. There's so many good things around us in life that can distract us from the best thing that God has planned for us in Jesus Christ. We need to stay focused. We need to stay prayer-directed, spirit-empowered as we stay focused on the mission of the church. We know what the mission of the church is, I hope. The mission of the church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, we do a whole lot of other things in life. Sometimes we do a whole lot of other things in the church. But we need to stay tenaciously laser-focused on that mission. That's why God has redeemed us in Christ and left us here for a season so that we can make more disciples of Jesus Christ. That's our mission together. That's our mission as individuals. You see Paul and his entourage carrying out that mission here in Acts chapter 16. There's a lot going on in the world around us right now that can be so distracting. There's even a lot going on in the United Methodist Church right now that can be so distracting. And while we pay attention to what's going on around us, in the world and even in the broader Christian community, while we pay attention to what's going on around us, we stay focused on the mission of the church. That's why what we do in worship is very specific. We don't do everything in worship. What we do in worship is very specific. We come into this place to worship the living God. We come into this place to recommit to the mission 
to which we have been called through Christ. So when I look at this text and I see Paul and his entourage doing what God has called them to do, even crossing the Aegean Sea to do it, I remind myself, I, we need to stay focused on the mission. The second thing that I want to remind myself from this text, offer us as a take-home, take-away, is I, I need to do a better job of remembering Lydia. We need to remind ourselves all about Lydia, who this person was. We need to never limit the work of the Holy Spirit by our lack of faith. When I think about Lydia, when I see Lydia here in this text, I'm reminded that God wants all people to be reached by Jesus Christ so that all people can reach all people in Jesus Christ. In Christ, we all come together. In Christ, we all are given a mission. Here is Lydia, who was a businesswoman. There were not a lot of those in the first century. There were more than we probably realized. Here was Lydia, a businesswoman here in Philippi. As a result, she probably was a woman of some wealth. Probably very little, little status as a woman, but she was a woman of some wealth. When I look just at, chap, just at chapter 16 here in the book of Acts, it is amazing the people that I see coming to Christ. Here is Lydia, a wealthy woman, businesswoman. In just a few more verses later on, we will see Paul casting out a demon from a slave girl. A slave girl, that's probably the bottom of the rung socioeconomically. And then by the time we get to the end of chapter 16, we see a Philippian jailer coming to faith in Christ. I guess he represents the middle class. When I look at Lydia, I'm reminded that God wants all people to come to know Christ so that all people can go to all people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Earlier in the book of Acts, in chapter 2, in chapter 2, we saw that day of Pentecost. We're going to celebrate it soon in the life of the Christian community. We saw how on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, fell on that early Christian community, those 120 there in Jerusalem. And then after the Spirit fell and empowered the early Christian community, it was Peter who stood up and preached there in Acts chapter 2. And Peter took his text for that day from the Old Testament book of Joel. We read about it in Acts chapter 2. And it was there in his sermon that, that Peter declared to the people from the prophet Joel that God said, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. All flesh, all people. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Prophesy me means to proclaim the mind of God. Prophesy means to preach. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. The gift of the Spirit is a very egalitarian gift that falls on all people so that all people can speak the mind of God and go to all the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to remember Lydia. We need to remember Lydia and be reminded of the Holy Spirit's creativity 
and how the Holy Spirit has a task for each one of us, regardless of what our station or situation in life is all about, regardless of our age or our health, God has a task for each one of us, just like he had for Lydia, just like he had for the demon-possessed slave girl, just like he had for the Philippian jailer. He had a task for them. The third thing I want to offer you to take away today as I look at this text, and it's a fascinating part of the text, and we, we Methodist types, we Methodist types tend to notice this. You notice at the end of our text for the morning, you notice at the end of the text, after the Holy Spirit opened Lydia's heart to the gospel, and every conversion is a supernatural act, we have blinders on by nature until the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to receive the good news of Jesus Christ. You notice that after the Holy Spirit opened her heart, it says she and her household were baptized. Her household would have included any other relatives she had. Her household would have even included any servants that she would have had there. These people are very close to the Jewish community in many ways. And in Judaism, it would have been completely unthinkable for mom and dad, or just mom or just dad, to come to the Christian faith and leave the children hanging out there to make their decision at some other point in their lives. That's why circumcision was offered to children in the Old Covenant. Baptism is offered to children in the New Covenant. Here we see, here we see Lydia, and she probably was a single woman. We don't have any mention of a husband. Um, she was a businesswoman. She may have been widowed. We don't know what kind of family she had, but she had a household. So she and her household were baptized. She took her home she took all those within her home and she declared to the community there in Philippi, we are a Christian home. You know, I don't know if she quoted the 24th chapter of the book of Joshua where Joshua said famously, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Part of our mission is to help Christians create Christian homes. Pope John Paul II rather famously said one time, as the family goes, so goes the nation, and so goes the whole world in which we live. We need to help each other raise our children and our grandchildren in Christian homes. Lydia's home would have been very different from the other homes there in Philippi because that was a Greco-Roman pagan culture. It, was, it would have even been dangerous for her to find themselves as a Christian home there in Philippi. We need to help each other find the strength, find the grace, find the courage, find the edification to create Christian homes and to know the difference between a Christian home and a home that doesn't profess faith in Christ. I don't say this to levy any guilt on anyone. All of us need to do better. All of us wish we would have done better. 
And all of us hope we will do better in the days to come. But we need to help each other create Christian homes. We need to not only help our children embrace the faith. We do that so well here. We need to not only help our youth embrace the faith. We do that so well here. The month of May has been absolutely amazing with our Alpha and Omega Sunday and with our Confirmation Sunday. We need to work on our children, work on our youth, but we need to make sure the homes they are part of are distinctively Christian homes. And as our culture around us becomes more secular, our homes that are Christian will become more and more distinctive. We need to help each other on this. They knew that Lydia's home in Philippi had become a Christian home. I hope that our neighbors know the same about us. So God has a task for each one of us. The Holy Spirit is very creative. So the Holy Spirit can use our situation, our circumstances, can use our gifts, can use the grace that we possess, no matter our age or our health, in order to do some kingdom work here in this world. We have a task, and it must always be a spirit-empowered, prayer-directed task. I need the Holy Spirit to finish this message in each one of our hearts because each one of us have a different task to fulfill for the sake of Jesus Christ. In a few moments, you're going to walk out these doors and you're going to a mission field. May you live in a spirit-empowered, prayer-directed way. My friends, would you pray with me? We offer ourselves to you, God, as we do when we come into this place. We pray, O oh God, that you'll disturb us, disrupt us, so that we can become more like Jesus Christ. We thank you for your word and your spirit which is at work in our lives to help us live as your people. God, we thank you for calling us. We thank you for claiming us. And we pray that as we invite Jesus into our hearts, that we may indeed allow him to reign and rule in our lives so that we can live lives of, of joyful obedience. In the name of our only Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.